Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So I, I, I have something that <clears throat> I'm going to share this morning. And if I'm being transparent, I, I really wasn't going to share it. I, I was debating when I was, God was putting this message together with me, and if I should share this. I didn't know if I should or if I shouldn't. And I walk into church today, and sure enough, God gives me confirmation with my dear friend um, and mentor, Pastor Wally. Um, and he, he spoke to me, and he, it was God speaking that this needed to be shared, that this needed to be shared today. And so I'm going to try to go quick because I want to get into this message. I want to get into the meat of what God wants to share with you today and this word that he's put on my heart. But I feel this message, um, this story ties into this, and I feel like it's important. And so, when I was in prison, eight years ago, my first year while incarcerated, God gave me a vision and a dream, and he radically wrecked me in my prison cell during my first eight or nine months being incarcerated. I was serving seven and a half years. And he just brought me to my knees in my prison cell as I was reading the word and I was praying and I was worshiping. And he told me that uh, I was going to become a pastor and that I was going to oversee a prison ministry and go back into the same facility that I was in. And I was going to go back and minister to these men and share the gospel. And that I was going to work with at-risk youth in the inner cities and gang members. And I was going to go into schools. And I was going to speak life to these young adults. And try to give them the gospel without actually giving them the gospel. Those is, that's what the Lord told me in my first year of serving a seven and a half year prison sentence when I was in the ACI. And I share this humbly. It's not about what the Lord's done, what I've accomplished. It's, I take that back. It's not about what I've accomplished. It's about what the Lord can accomplish in somebody that's broken and unworthy. And so, me and my buddy were both incarcerated at the same time. He was doing 10 years. I was doing seven and a half. I was saved. He wasn't. And we went to... Uh, a program to try to get good time, a CCRI curriculum to do a writing test. And uh, really quickly, there was an essay that you had to write. There was three topics. I can only remember two because it was the topic I picked and the topic he picked. The one that I picked is what are you going to do with your life when you get out of prison? And the other topic was technology. Where do you think it's going? Where is it? Where is it going to be when you get out? And so my friend Tone, Tony, he picked the technology I picked what I'm going to do with my life when I get out. And so as we finished the writing exam essay and we were walking out of the education building and walking back to the, the prison block through the prison yard, he said, what'd you write about? What'd you write about, Dan? I said, ah, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. He said, what do you mean you're not going to tell me? What'd you write about? I wrote about technology and how it's going to be changed. And, you know, what'd you write about? I said, all right, I'll tell you. I said, I, you know, don't, don't laugh at me, man, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm I think the Lord told me I'm going to become a pastor. 
I'm going to oversee a prison ministry. I'm going to work with youth in the inner cities with gang members. I'm going to go into schools. I'm going to speak life and preach the gospel to everybody. He looked at me, bust out laughing. I can't really say what else he said because it was vulgarity. So, but he said, you're nothing but a drug dealer, Dan. Who are you fooling? You're going to go right back out and do the same thing you did every other time. You don't fool anybody walking around with this Bible and going to all these things. You know who you are. I know who you are. That's what you're going to be. I said, you're wrong, Tone. You're wrong. God changed me. And so I share that, church, humbly to share with you that God gave me a vision eight years ago. And this Thursday, before coming to church, I didn't plan these dates. I didn't do it. God orchestrated this. He ordained this. I went back and I went into juvenile lockup for the first time in DYS, and I preached the gospel to young men in juvenile detention centers. The next day, Friday, I went into a high school, old, reg old regional Rochester High School in Rochester, Massachusetts, and I spoke life. I spoke life, and I, my topic was about faith, the foundation of faith to 250 ninth graders and 10th graders. And today I'm here in front of you sharing the gospel sharing about his prison ministry. There's only two words, church, that I can think of when I share this testimony with you. And it's, but God. But God. He orchestrated, he ordains, he puts purposeful, intentional. He knows all, he sees all, he goes before us. And he's the one that's working all things out for the good of those who love him according to his purpose and his plan. And so you heard that was a piece of my story. That's what you heard. I'm nobody, but God is, but God. So now let's see what scripture says about but God. Again, old, I gotta put my goggles on. <laughs> but God, those two words are two powerful words. When you come across but God in Scripture, pay attention, church. What comes next will usually change the entire situation, especially if the word meant is added after them. But God meant it. But God meant. And so, Genesis 37 through 50, almost a third of the book of Genesis, is about the story and the life of Joseph, which ultimately goes to Genesis 50, 20. And so, I can't give, I don't have the time. We would need weeks to get through the whole story of Joseph from 37 to 50. But what I'm going to try to do with this time is give you a brief summary of everything that Joseph went through and how God was working in the midst of everything behind the scenes, in front of the scenes for a greater good and a greater purpose, just like he's doing here with us, with each and every one of you. 
receive that, believe that, and trust that the Lord is working out all things. He's turning things around from evil to good to accomplish what is now being done, which is the saving of many lives. And so the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 starts around when he's 17 years old. Are there any 17-year-olds in here today? No, that's right. They're all at Berea. But God, <laughs> praise the Lord for that today. <laughs> we love our youth. We love them. But God. Uh, so Joseph's 17 years old, and he gets a vision, and he gets a dream from the Lord. A pretty powerful one. That all of his brothers, his 11, other 11 brothers, and even his father and family are going to bow down before him. And so won't all the earth, the moon, the stars, and everything will bow down before him. Now, he's 17 years old at this time. He's young. His perspective is maybe a little different than somebody that might be a little older and gets such a powerful vision or dream from God. And so I think he may be a little immature in his faith. Maybe a little arrogant, maybe a little cocky, a lot like a lot of our youth may be at times. But he goes and shares this vision and this dream with his brothers who are already jealous and envious of him. Because he is his father's favorite, Jacob. Is, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son because he had him in old age. And he gave him a, a various colored tunic, almost like a royal garment, a robe. The, 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 Jacob's already playing favorites. Who knows? Don't do that with their children. That's a big mistake. Take it from Stephanie and I. We'll tell you that. <laughs> with Bronx. Well, that's another story. But God. <laughs> but God. And so the brothers are already jealous. They're envy. And then Joseph tells them this. This vision, this dream, I don't know exactly how he tells it, but I'm assuming being 17 years old, it's a little pompous, it's a little arrogant, and his perspective may be a little off. There's not much discernment, there's not much wisdom there. And so, needless to say, he shares it, and his brothers are in rage. Even his father rebukes the dream, so to speak. Doesn't believe it. And so one day, the father, Jacob sends Joseph out to find his brothers, and his brothers plot to kill him. They plot to kill him. Their own brother over greed, jealousy, envy, over wounds. They plot to kill their own brother. But one brother comes up with this, uh, you know, brilliant scheme to not kill him so the blood won't be on their hands. And let's just throw him in a pit. Let's throw him in a pit. So we don't have to kill him. We don't have to have that blood on our hands, but we'll throw him in a pit. And then another brother said, well, let's sell him. Let's make a profit off of him and not kill him. We'll make a profit off him instead. And so they sold him to slave traders that were heading to a foreign land in Egypt. So Joseph is betrayed by his family. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. Then he finds favor in Egypt, Joseph. He finds favor in Egypt. And he's sold to Potiphar, a commander in Pharaoh's army of the bodyguard. 
And in that household, Joseph finds favor. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph. One second, church. We're going to go to Genesis 39.2. 39.2. Right? It's talking about Joseph being sold to Potiphar. And then he's in his house, and it says, Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph. Right? Then go down to Genesis 39, 21. When Joseph was thrown in prison by Potiphar because he was wrongfully accused of supposedly wanting to rape or lie down with Potiphar's wife, which was a lie because Joseph was a man of character and integrity and a man of favor. And God was with him, and so Joseph was with God. And so Joseph denied that, but he was wrongfully accused of that, and he was thrown into prison, into the Egyptian prison. And so it says in Genesis 39, 21, But the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Even the chief jailer, seeing that there was favor on Joseph's life and allowed Joseph to oversee and be in charge of everybody in prison. What is this? How does this happen? This is a slave that was sold into Egypt, that's now having favor in a commander's house, even after being wrongfully uh, accused and slandered, and then being thrown in prison, and still having the favor of the Lord. Genesis 39, 23 says, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. You see, there's three different accounts in scripture here in this chapter that says the Lord was with Joseph. And so although Joseph was physically alone, the Lord was with Joseph. Because of this, Joseph not only endured, but he prospered. The same is true for all of God's servants, no matter the circumstances. Fellowship with the Lord means freedom from fear and loneliness. And many other things, too. But right here, Joseph was surely alone in the midst of these trials. And I'm sure his human kindness and his flesh must have had fear as to some degree of what's going to happen. But because Joseph had a relationship, he had fellowship with the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph was with him. So everything he did, he was made to prosper and had favor. And that's the same for you and I. If we have a fellowship, if we have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. And if he's with us, who can be against us, church? Amen? Are you with me? some water and to take this coat off. It is. It's lights. I feel like I'm on Broadway. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> so, 
I think it's safe to say in this narrative, the story of Joseph so far, he's in a state of peril. Peril. The definition is exposure to injury, loss, or destruction, grave risk, jeopardy, and danger. That's peril. Thrown into a pit is peril. Sold into slavery is peril. Wrongfully accused of rape and thrown into prison is peril. And then as we get to this, forgotten about while in prison for at least another two and a half to three years is peril. Because while Joseph was in prison and had favor over the, over the jailer and all the inmates, he met a couple inmates in there and interpreted a dream for them, which came to fruition for one good and for one really bad, if you know the story. And so Joseph said to the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh, don't forget about me. I interpreted this dream for you. Let Pharaoh know that I'm in here wrongfully accused and maybe he'll hear me before his courts. And surely enough, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they got out of prison. And the chief baker was hung and killed as Joseph interpreted his dream. And the chief cupbearer was put back to his rightful position in the courts of Pharaoh. And he forgot about Joseph. He didn't follow through. He forgot about him. And so I want to move to Genesis 45 because I said we have to jump around here because I can't get all of this church, but I want to get what I believe the Lord wants me to share with you today and what's most important. And I believe, too, through that peril that Joseph was going through, the, 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 the great danger, the risk, the jeopardy of losing his life, of destruction, of setbacks and failures, there was, a, there, was, there was a perspective that was brewing in Joseph, right? There was a character and some integrity that was growing in Joseph. And I think he, was, he started now to shift his perspective from when he was 17 years old and young and now being older and going through various trials and gaining some wisdom and some knowledge, right, and some humility. He started to have a kingdom perspective on things. So we have peril, and we have perspective. And so Genesis 45.5, we're going to turn to. Okay. Now Joseph is talking to his brothers for the first time. He's talking to his brothers because Joseph interpreted a dream for Pharaoh eventually, and that was what got him out of prison. And before Pharaoh, and he interpreted the dream that Pharaoh needed interpreted because the chief cupbearer went to Pharaoh and said, that's right, there's someone sitting in prison. His name is Joseph. You might want to hear him. He's a favored man of God, and he can interpret visions and dreams. And so Pharaoh brought Joseph before him in the courts, and Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams that there would be seven years of prosperity and then seven years of severe famine. And so Pharaoh was blown away and said, this Joseph must be a man of God. He has this favor to interpret dreams and visions. And so Pharaoh was like, who can I put in charge of all of the land of Egypt, of all of my livestock, of all of my grains? So when we do have these seven years of famine, I mean seven years of prosperity, we can properly, properly, um, um, have the food put away, have the grain put away, have the water put away so we can survive through the seven years of famine. 
And so this is now fast forwarding. The famine hits. The famine hits. Joseph is Ben. It's been 13 years since he was thrown in a pit. It's been 13 years. And then another seven years of the prosperity, which is now 20 years. And then it says in the Bible and Scripture that it was at least two years into the famine when Joseph's brothers left their land and came to Egypt searching for food to survive and for their family to live. And so finally, Joseph is there in charge of all of Egypt under Pharaoh, ruler of the land, under Pharaoh. And in Genesis 45, 5, he says, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. <laughs> Read this again. Go down to, to 7, 45, 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Verse 8, here it is. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Church, say it with me. But God. Joseph was not sold into slavery by his brothers in the natural and the physical he was. He was God was sending him before them for a remnant on the earth to preserve life and save many lives. Come on, stay with me. There's something here. There's something on this right now that the Lord wants you to hear. He wants you to have this scripture illuminate to you what he's trying to say through this. That, that peril that Joseph was facing, his perspective changing into kingdom perspective, that it was not you who sent me here, but God who sent me. That alone, church, is in marvel. It's in awe. That kind of perspective to have that. That's how we should have. We should have that kind of perspective when we face trials and tribulations. We should say, but God is for us and with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's how our heart posture should be. That's how our spirit should be. And so, Joseph might, been, might have been sold into slavery, but God sent him. And again, church, I feel the call on this to share this. Because it's, 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 it's less of me, and it's more of him. That's what it's about. But I feel... The Lord had me, it was all over this for me personally, and I believe it's going to speak to somebody in this room too. When I was sent, sentenced to seven and a half years in prison, the courts, the, 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 the district attorneys, they were sending me to prison for a punishment, for a prison sentence, but at the same time in the supernatural, God was sending me. God was sending me beforehand for a mission field, for a battlefield, for training to what's now being accomplished through his prison ministry and the saving of many lives. And it wasn't just about me. He wasn't just saving my life. He was saving my family's life. He was saving my children's life. 
Because Stephanie and I were talking about this last night, and it's very personal, intimate, but I think it's powerful to share here because the last thing I want to do is stand up here and say, yeah, God exalted me. He saved me to do this, to do that, to do this. No, it's greater than me. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger plan being orchestrated, being ordained intentionally, purposefully. He's planning this all out for our good, and that's what he was doing with me. He was actually separating me out of peril. He was separating me out of peril, just like he separated Joseph out of peril in order to elevate him. There was, see, there was separation before elevation. You need, you need separation before God can elevate you. And so he took me out of a grave danger, out of peril, for a greater purpose, that my wife would come to Christ, that my children would come to Christ, that a prison ministry would have other men and women that were lost and broken come to Christ. Just like he did with Joseph, there was a greater picture at stake that he was using Joseph to save many lives. And so there's some there is some reference scriptures, and I don't even know if I'm going to have the time to go through them, but I encourage you to go through them to support that God is not a trailing God. He doesn't fall behind you picking up all the pieces of, of what you're doing in your life. He's not behind you waiting for you to mess up. He's going before you. He goes before you because he has foreknowledge and foresight of everything in the world. God doesn't go behind you. He goes before you. And he's providential. And he's sovereign over everything. And this is what we're seeing happen in Joseph's life. Peril, perspective, providence. And then yet one still point to come. And I, I love this scripture, Genesis 50, 20. There's so much to unpack in it. It, it, there's so much. It could take weeks. I believe this is one of the most theologically rich, yet grammatically succinct verses in the Old Testament. For you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He intended it for good. He planned it for good. He purposely, intentionally orchestrated and ordained it for good. Now, I'm not saying he caused Joseph's brothers to have evil thoughts and do those, but he took those evil thoughts and he turned them around for good, for his purpose and his plan, not for ours. There's a greater picture here at Scheme, and it's his promise. It's about God's promise. Joseph knew two things. He knew God had authoritative power over everything. Authoritative power. Nothing in this story is accidental. But everything in this story is intentional. Romans 8.28. I know you heard me just say it a few minutes ago maybe. But Romans 8.28 is Genesis 50.20. His purpose and his plan never changes. It's eternal. It's eternal. And we know all things work together for good for those who love God according to his purpose, to his plan. All things, not some things, 
Not a few things, not many things, not just good things, all things. That's our God. He goes before you, not behind you. Thank you, Jesus. I want to unpack a little bit more of Genesis 50, 20. You see, the brothers, they did mean it for evil. They did intend it. They did plan it. There was purpose behind their evil motive. But God, <laughs> I, I keep, no, I keep saying it, but that's how, how do you wrap your arms around this? How can you physically, mentally, emotionally, or even spiritually wrap your arms around how big and good and providential and sovereign God is in this moment? What an irresistible interruption to hear in the midst of evil. But God, that should be our theology that we should stand on. I'll be bold enough to say that here today. But God will work all things out no matter what you're going through. No matter if you're in a prison cell or you're in a prison in your mind, God's working all things out for a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. You might be in peril. Change your perspective on how you look at the peril. Don't have a worldly perspective. Have a kingdom perspective like Joseph did. And watch his providence make room for his promises. If there's something I want you to get here today, church, that I feel the Lord's on, he's illuminating through this scripture. I believe his blood is on this quote that he gave me. And I say that humbly, but it was just resonating in me and resonating in me. And I feel like this, this is it right here. When peril is upon us, kingdom perspective, prepares a table for his providence which secures his promises. Are you with me, church? Are you getting that? When peril is upon us, kingdom perspective, it prepares a table for his providence which secures his promises. Thank you, Jesus. And Joseph also knew that not only God had authoritative power over everything, but that God had an ultimate purpose to his authoritative power. And that ultimate purpose was to fill an ultimate promise that he made to Abraham. Here we go. We're getting deep into this. Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, God promised him that he would give him a great nation, that he would give him a land and that he would send him a savior through his line and through his lineage. And so God's purpose in the moment and eventually in the fulfillment is saving many lives. God is keeping his Abrahamic covenant to Abraham, his promise. It's not just about exalting Joseph because he's a great guy, because he's a great guy with character and integrity, and I want to take him and I want to show him off to the world and save many lives. No, no, God's doing something here for his plan and his purpose, just like he did with Jesus Christ in the fulfillment 
for eternal salvation for each and every one of us. He's doing for Joseph in the immediate and in the moment. Joseph is a type of Christ, a prefiguration of Christ in the Old Testament. Joseph, in the physical sense, is salvation in the immediate moment to save many lives, to bring God's people out of peril, out of danger, and into, the, uh, into a safe land to prosper. So the bloodline doesn't stop because if you went back into Genesis 37, 38, it looks pretty grim for Abraham's lineage and his bloodline at that moment. It looks pretty grim. It looks like it's about to get broken. Satan is at the best of his works. He's at the best of his works because he intends evil against Joseph, against Jacob, against the 12 tribes, against Abraham. But God intends to use that for good to accomplish his providence, to secure his promises. Here we are. So as God removes Joseph out of the peril, he's protecting him and preparing him to save a line, to fulfill a covenant, a promise, separating him in order to elevate him. Eventually, Jesus Christ is born, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. The one from the seed of Abraham that would bless many nations. That's really what God's doing here in this picture of Genesis 50-20, of Joseph, of his family. It's a fulfillment of providence, of promises, excuse me, in providence. It's providential. It's sovereign. He's orchestrating it. He's ordained it. This is what God does. And so then we see the Messiah come. Christ is the ultimate Joseph. He's eternal salvation for all mankind. Where Joseph saves many lives in the physical and the natural Jesus saves many lives spiritually and eternally. Amen? God's end game purpose and plan is and will always be to save many lives for the furtherance of the gospel and for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, church. He did it with Joseph. He did it with his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he desires to do it with you and I. He wants to use your story for his glory. No matter what you're going through, when peril is upon you, kingdom perspective prepares a table for his providence, which secures his promises. Genesis 50, 20 shows what God can do with something meant to harm you. He can not only protect you in it, but he can also promote you because of it. The exact thing Joseph's brothers had meant to cause him harm was the exact thing God used to promote him to his destiny. 
And that's what he wants to do, church, with you and I. For what the enemy intended for evil against you, God now intends to use for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. For we know all things work together for good of those who love God according to his purpose and plan. If the Lord is with us, who can be against us? Even if a weapon is formed, it shall not prosper. And so church, as we close here today, my prayers are that you see God's big picture in not just Joseph's life, in not just our Savior's life, but in your life. In your life. He's working it all out. He's providential. He's sovereign. He's good. He's faithful. His grace and his mercy is sufficient. It is enough. And so, I say to you, church, who's facing a battle right now? A battle whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, whether it be spiritually in bondage, from addiction, generational curses, bondage, oppression, no matter what it is. I ask you to come up here with me. Come up here with me, and and not to your normal altar call. Come up here with me and declare and proclaim and prophesy that you're going to see a victory that you're going to win the battle because the Lord is for you. Who's bold enough to step up here and come worship with us down here at the end of this service and declare what the Lord is doing in your life? Jesus, Father, Lord, thank you for your word that was spoken, Lord. Thank you that you're working all things out for good, Lord. No matter if it's evil or good, Father God, you are governing, you are overruling, you are providential, you are sovereign. Jesus, you're good, you're faithful. We're not worthy, Lord, but we receive it, Father God. We believe it, Lord, that we're going to see a victory, that the battle belongs to you, not us, and that when we face peril, Our kingdom perspective prepares a table before us for his providence to secure his promises. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for going before us and not going behind us. Yes, Jesus. No matter what we're going through, no matter what they're going through, God, you are faithful and you are good and you're turning all things around. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory. We honor you in worship and praise in your word, in your name, in your spirit, and in your kingdom that is here right now accomplishing what heaven desires to do in this place, at this altar, through this song. In Jesus' name I pray. For everybody that wants to stay here and worship with us, please do. If not, have a great day, and may God bless you. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you, and have the best day of your life.